Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. I'm going to preach today a message that I'm really excited about, so, so much so that I have three or four different directions that I could take it. But I have determined and decided to stay focused, to stay precise. And so today I just want to speak on this simple topic, how to pray like a leader, how to pray like a leader. Have you ever wanted to to get better at praying? Maybe you're here and you say, you know, prayer just seems like something for the elite, something for the people who know what they're doing. And I, I feel so confused when it comes to this area called prayer. Well, today I want to encourage you how to pray like a leader. Even in recent days, I felt this conviction on my heart. I want to be better at praying, better not only in quantity, but better in quality. I want to be more focused in my prayer. I want to be more effective in my prayer. Do you know in the book of James, it says the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. I believe that for your life, that God desires for you to experience power and effectiveness in your prayer. I would rather be powerful and effective in prayer than I would just in my pursuits. I would rather be powerful and effective in prayer than just in my intentions or in the things that I I get busy with. I want to be effective and I want to be powerful in my prayer. The Bible promises that that is available to us. And so today I want to look at some principles. And in order to share these principles, I'm going to share from, from a book in the Bible called Nehemiah. Now, over the last few weeks, I've made reference to the the, the people of Israel when they were in exile in Babylon, returning uh, to the city of Jerusalem. This happens near the end of the Old Testament. They had been in captivity for 70 years. After being in captivity, they returned into their promise, returned into their destiny. And in that place of destiny, that place called Jerusalem, they they started with the laying of the foundation of the temple, reestablishing worship in their life. I'm so grateful that they did that. I'm grateful that in your life and in my life, I've had the opportunity to establish a foundation of worship in my life. When they they finished this foundation, uh, the the Bible records this in the book of Ezra, that there was a mixture of both joy and mourning. Joy from the younger people saying, we're doing it. And a little bit of mourning and disappointment from the older group saying, we've still got so far to go. I don't know if you've ever felt either of those mixed emotions, uh, an excitement about what's happening in your life, but also a, a sense of, uh, of longing for more. After they laid a foundation, they stopped building the temple. We talked about this last week, uh, about 14 years passed and they didn't finish the job. Maybe you've had that experience before where some time has passed And right now in this month of September, as you have a sense of like new beginnings, new school years, new, you know, the the, the start of a new season, you're saying, how did I let that slide? How did I let that go? Well, this is the greatest time you could possibly come back to determining I'm going to build on the foundation of worship in my life. God's not condemning. God's not mad at you. But I do believe God is moving us forward and nudging us forward to follow through on our intentions, to be people who actually do the things we say we're going to do. So they finish the temple and, and it's, uh, it's beautiful, it's significant, but continued opposition comes their way. In fact, this opposition uh, continually lasts for such a, a period of time. 
that the story I want to tell today out of Nehemiah is like 70 years later. Like, like a couple more generations have passed. Uh, this group of people who chose to go back from Babylon to, to Jerusalem ha have lived and had kids and their kids have had kids and, and many of them have probably passed away and there's like a whole new generation. But, but amazingly, though they built the temple, they had never taken time, never put in the investment, never put in the effort to rebuild the city's walls. So there's a city without walls. Now, this was one of the ways I could have taken the message. Let me just, just make reference to it. It's not where we're going to end today. But, but the city without walls it is really a vulnerable picture. A city is a place where there is value, certainly. Certainly the people who live it, in it have value. But without walls, it is vulnerable value. Okay, that there is family being raised without security or protection. There is commerce taking place without the, the knowledge that what is brought into a storehouse is able to be kept. There is constant distress, constant fear for what could be taken. So the city of Jerusalem is a city without walls. I, I, I wonder today if as I tell this story, your mind or heart will go towards an area in your life that feels like value that is vulnerable. That feels like perhaps there is uh, an area, God's blessed it, you, you've prioritized it, but you have not come to a place where it is invulnerable, where it's protected, and where it's safe. If that is the case, I think it would be a great place to begin to pray today. It'd be a great thing to focus our prayer on today. Let me give you a few examples of what a city without walls might look like in, in my life or in your life. Having zeal without wisdom is like being a city without walls. There is value in zeal, but without the protection that comes with wisdom, your zeal, your passion can very easily be robbed from you. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before. I'm not going to make you jump in the chat and let me know, but, but I know for many of us, we've experienced seasons in our life where we've got great passion. We just don't have the wisdom to bring safety and protection around that value. And another thing would be this, talent without character. If you don't have the walls that character provides, your talent can very easily lead you to a place that your character will not sustain you. And you see people expressing their talents and skills only to find themselves in a place where it's all taken away because their character was not there to protect them. Does this resonate with anybody? Let me give you another, another uh, example. Influence without ownership. Influence is so valuable, but without ownership, it is vulnerable value. It's important to care for our reputation, to care for our character, the way we're perceived in the world around us. It, it's important to have opportunity to lead from a place of influence, but without ownership, influence can be incredibly dangerous. Maybe you've experienced this type of of thing before where someone who had influence in a workplace or a church or an organization or a ministry just simply didn't have any personal investment or ownership in the thing that they were bringing influence to and it can lead to disaster. Let me give you another example. Relationship without unity and communication. Relationship is so valuable. Marriage relationships, family relationships, friend relationships, 
business partnerships, all incredibly valuable. They bring richness and joy to your life, but a relationship without unity and communication is vulnerable value. Vulnerable value, something I cherish, but I'm just not putting protections around it. Let me give you another example. Authority without accountability. Oh my goodness, authority has value, but if it doesn't have the protection that accountability brings, we see all sorts of injustices take place from people of authority who are never held to any sort of accountability. I will not go into to making political references or references about other people. I simply need to own this in my own life, and maybe you do as well, the danger that comes with the value of authority that is never uh, brought out of that place of vulnerability by building walls of accountability around it. In fact, I wanna say this, if you have authority in any aspect of your life, find some accountability in order to actually show value to it. Here's another one for a church, evangelism without discipleship. Do you know evangelism is so valuable? People coming to faith, hearing the gospel, what a powerful, exciting church to be a part of. But if we don't have the the walls that discipleship bring, we're incredibly vulnerable. Incredibly vulnerable to just think that our, our, our task is only to see people saved, but never to see people walking with Jesus. Jesus' great commission to us as a church for all history is to go into all the world and make disciples, not just decisions. Evangelism without discipleship to me feels like a wall or a city without walls. Let me give you another one, calling without covering. Calling without covering. You might feel called to something specific in your life, whether it's a a role in ministry or a call to leadership or a call to influence in some significant way. Maybe you feel called in a certain arena of life or a certain business. I think if you feel called to something, there's a really important value that you get under some covering. You get under some authority. Now, if you're looking to find some covering, I think you ought to find some authority that also has some accountability, or you have that, that dual effect of being an unwalled city. But if you feel called, find some covering, someone that you would submit to and say, as much as I feel this, as much as I see evidence in my life, I need someone above me who is, is looking and is watching for their vulnerabilities in my life. I get excited about this. Let me give you one more. Resource without purpose. Resource of time, of of talent, or of treasure. If you have some resource that's incredibly valuable, if you don't have any purpose around your resource, you will find that you slowly run out of resource. Money without purpose is not very valuable. Time without purpose is easily wasted. Talent without without any purpose to give it to becomes self-indulgent. It's like a city without walls. Now that would have been a good sermon, hey? We could have dove into that and maybe we will at some other day. But I, I think this creates kind of an environment or a backdrop for us as we look at this story of Nehemiah. The feeling or the sense it would be to have a city without walls. Nehemiah chapter one begins this way. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about the city of Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, and they're in great trouble and great disgrace. 
The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. They are describing a city without walls. They're describing the value of a city without the, the wall that causes it to not be vulnerable. Again, we looked at those things, values without, without the protection of a wall. Interesting to me that, that Nehemiah, though he lives in another place, and though these people have been gone for some 70 years, he still has care for the things that God cares about. I think as a leader, I, I think you as a, as a person who's watching today and part of this church, I hope that our hearts are moved by the things that move God's heart. I hope it's not just about us. I hope our dreams don't end with us. I hope our prayers don't end with us. Certainly for Nehemiah, his heart and desire was for the thing that mattered to God, his people and a city that represented his character and his nature. Verse four says this, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. I wanna point out today that there is a difference between being moved by emotion and being moved to prayer. It's possible that there's some aspect of your life, maybe you're not looking at an unwalled city in a personal way, like I personally have talent without character, or I personally have calling without covering, or I personally have a relationship that's lacking in unity. Those are all things that you can begin to establish a wall in your life. But perhaps you look at society at large, or this generation, or our nation, and you say, man, I just see so many aspects where we're like a city without walls. And it frustrates me. And it bothers me. And someone has to do something. That's only being moved by emotion. I don't want to be moved to emotion. I want to be moved to prayer. I want to be taken out of, of the lane I'm in right now and brought into a lane where prayer is my response. That's how you pray like a leader. You'll notice that Nehemiah didn't whine. He wept. I don't want to just whine and complain about what's not going right in the world. I want to actually deeply allow it to affect my perspective. He didn't forget. He fasted. How often do we get stirred up by a new hashtag, pray for, fill in the blank. But then we soon forget. Not Nehemiah. Nehemiah wouldn't let himself forget because he fasted. He, he went without food. He went without nourishment as a constant reminder that there was this need yet to be met in the world around him. Nehemiah didn't panic, he prayed. For some, we just go straight to panic. We go straight to the sky is falling. We go straight to the, the devil's out to get us. We go straight to our worst case scenario. We should go straight to prayer. If we wanna pray like a leader, we gotta go straight to prayer. Check this out, Alan Redpath said this, there is no winning without warfare. There is no opportunity without opposition. There is no victory without vigilance. For whenever the people of God say, let us arise and build, Satan says, let me arise and oppose. I just wanna be clear with you that, that if we're gonna do something about an unwalled city, if you were to read the rest of Nehemiah, you'd see he gets up and does something about it. But if we're gonna do something about it, we need to be prepared for opposition. Interestingly, opposition is the reason they stopped building in the first place. They had opposition from people who were mocking them and people who were threatening them. And, and, and both the, the, the jabs of mocking and the anxiety of threatening caused them to just give up. 
Why, why would they give up? I'm going to give you three possible reasons. Number one, they lacked vision. They just could never see that they would possibly be able to build. Well, we'll find out that Nehemiah, he didn't lack any vision. He had a big dream because he was trusting in a big God. But maybe it's not a lack of vision. Perhaps they saw how much better a wall would be, but they just lacked the motivation. They thought it would be good if someone else did it, but, but I, I'm not a wall builder. Or maybe perhaps they lacked confidence. You know, it, opposition exposes all three of those things in our life. It exposes a lack of vision in our life to really develop and be the people God has called us to be. It exposes a lack of motivation in our life to actually get up and do something about it. And it also exposes a lack of confidence in our life to stick to it. I know this is talking to somebody right now. I know this is a message for somebody right now. And you can look back in your life and see areas where you are like a city without walls and go, I just lack the vision to ever build character around my skill. Or I just lack the motivation to actually put discipleship in place and discipline and accountability in place when I got uh, into a place of power and authority. Or I just lacked the, the uh, motivation to own the things that I have influence in and really make them my own. Or thirdly, perhaps, it's neither of those things. It's just simply been an area of confidence. Well, I'm telling you right now, if you can learn to weep instead of whining, fast instead of forgetting, and pray instead of panicking, you are going to find a growth in vision, a growth in motivation, and a growth in confidence. If you begin to pray like a leader, all of those things will begin to grow. And so Nehemiah, he hears about the wall, he hears about the, the city in disrepair, he hears about a people being described as survivors who are disgraced, and he's moved, not, not to emotion, he doesn't just freak out, he's moved to do something about it, and his first step is prayer. Can I read his prayer for you? And in doing so, I'm going to point out five things. I'm not going to take very long on this, but these are five keys to praying like a leader, okay? Let, let's read it together. Verse four, he said, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some, some days. I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said this, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps, keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear, hear the prayer of your servant. The one that I am praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees, and the laws that you gave to your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are on the farthest horizons, I will gather them from there and I will bring them to the place that I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And then he concludes that, that whole portion of that prayer with this, just so you get the context. He says this, I was the cupbearer to the king. 
In other words, Nehemiah had some influence. He did have a position of influence. He had the ear of the king. But before he just goes and, and tries to shoot his shot, he brings it to the Lord first. He brings it to the Lord in prayer first. Before he goes and panics to the king or whines to the king or, God forbid, forgets about this need, he presents his needs to God in prayer. Now, I told you I was going to highlight five things, and I will. Uh, I, I'm not going to tell any other of the story, okay? But you could go and find out that the story looks like this. He approaches the king in confidence. The king goes, whatever you want, I'm going to give you. I'll resource you. I'll send you. And Nehemiah goes to the city of Jerusalem, having never been there before. And in just 52 days, he, he calls all the people of the nation to step up and build a wall. And they finish the job in 52 days. 70 years without a wall, 70 years without any sort of vision, motivation, or confidence. And it took one leader to step up in prayer, position himself there, and let his influence do something. And something incredible happened in just 52 days. The Bible says it was like perfume makers and bakers and, and, and all sorts of tasks, all sorts of vocations all stepped up and did their part. And they were able to see a miracle take place. I just wanted to tell you that because I think this is crazy. If you and I could learn to pray, who knows what God would do in a short season of time? Who knows what God would do in a time maybe as short as 52 days in terms of growth and stability? Who knows what God would do in the area where you feel vulnerable, like a city that's valuable, but still vulnerable without a wall? Who knows what God would do if we could learn to pray like a leader? Okay, let me point out these five things. First of all, a leader prays with, hum uh, prays with humility. A leader prays with humility. Look at the way Nehemiah's prayer begins. He says this, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. He's an acknowledging a position of humility before God. God is great and greatly to be praised. I want to remind you and encourage you, if we want to pray like a leader, we need to pray with humility. We need to pray with an understanding that God is worth talking to. That God actually doesn't just have power, he also has willingness to work on our behalf. God is great, and he's greatly to be praised, and there's no one else like him, there's no one else beside him, and he's on our side. This is unbelievable. It's amazing. It's incredible, and, uh, and, and the more I, I get a revelation of who God is, the more humbled I am, but humble doesn't mean humiliated. Humble doesn't mean I have to dig my face into the ground and, and, and remember how terrible I am. Humbling is this, this reality that this great God still knows my name. Pray with humility. I don't know what that'll look like for you, but as you jot it down, maybe even today in your notes, it's going to change and shape the way you pray. A leader prays with humility. Number two, a leader prays with dependence. A leader prays with an understanding of their dependence. It's possible to be humble and not really dependent. Say, God, you're great, you're incredible, you're amazing, you're awesome. And then to never actually connect oneself to that source of power. To just talk, all, you know, God, this is all about you. But he says this down in verse 6, let your ear be attentive to me. He goes, not only are you great, I need what you have. Not only are you awesome, but, but I'm less than that, and I need you. God, I need you. If we're going to learn to pray like a leader, we need to pray with some dependence, to pray with some understanding. Without God, we're lost. Without God's, God's care in our lives, we can't do it on our own. Man, there's too much 
positivity out there that's not backed with power. Someone goes, oh, I just can't do this. And we go, yes, you can. Guess what? The Bible says that apart from God, we can do nothing. Let, let's not just give people, uh, you know, pump their tires. Let's remind them that with God, nothing is impossible. So I'm humbled when I pray, but I'm also dependent when I pray. Number three, if we're going to pray like a leader, look at this. He says this, God, I confess the sins of, of my people, including myself, my father's family. And he goes on to describe the fault as we, not they. You know, so often uh, when, when we look at the problems in the world around us, we are really quick to throw blame. Maybe when we look even in our own life at the lack of wall around our you know, value and we're still vulnerable because we lack walls like a city that has no wall, we're quick to point out the blame in other people. Well, I would have had better accountability if they really checked in on me. Oh, I would have had more wisdom if somebody took the time to teach me. I would have had more purpose if somebody just, you know, promoted something in my presence. So instead of blaming, let's take some ownership. A leader prays a prayer of confession. A leader acknowledges that they're imperfect. Being a leader doesn't mean that you are immune from mistakes. In fact, it probably exposes them all the more. And so Nehemiah, not approaching God with, hey, God, you know me, I've been pretty perfect. I've kind of been crushing it lately. Instead, he goes, hey, God, I got nothing to bring to this equation. I'm humbled by how great you are. I'm dependent on your grace in my life. And I just want to acknowledge I've missed the mark. I, I, I want to pray prayers that rely on God's grace more than pray, prayers that rely on my righteousness. Are you with me today? So a leader prays with humility, a leader prays with dependency, and a leader prays with confession. They own where they have missed the mark. Number four, a leader prays with remembrance. Look what it says in verse eight. He says this, remember the instruction you gave to your servant Moses. And he goes on with this long, drawn out, elongated, run-on sentence of all the things that God has done. Essentially, by asking God to remember something, we're actually just acknowledging that we remember something. And, and so he's going, God, I'm counting on your character right now. I'm counting on what you promise because you always keep your promises. This is not him saying, hey, God, don't forget what you promised. This is him saying, I have not forgotten it. I'm still holding on to your promise. For some, we have gone from fasting to forgetting. We just forgot that God even cared in the first place. I wanna call you today and challenge you. Can we remember who it is that we're praying to? He's faithful beyond our lack of faith. You know, every great work of God through somebody involves a great work in them first. Before God does a great work through you, he generally does a great work to you in your life. This seems to be what happened in Nehemiah's life. He's broken, but he's not just moved to emotion. He's moved to prayer. prayer. And so a great leader prays with humility, with dependency, with confession, with remembrance. And then lastly, a great leader prays with boldness. Look what he says. Give your servant success today. Check out that boldness. God, I need success and I need it today. Check it out. What do we want? Success. When do we want it? Now. That's literally, he, he's coming to God saying, I need success 
and not just at some point in the distant future, I'm counting on you today. That kind of boldness is audacious. It's incredible, it's powerful, but I think it's kind of what faith looks like. Now imagine if Nehemiah had begun his prayer this way. Hey God, I need you, show up, do some things for me. I need you to, I think God, because he's so good, would still have worked on Nehemiah's behalf. But what I notice in great leaders is they get this order right. I'm humbled, I'm dependent, I'm repentant and confessing, I'm remembering, but I'm also pretty bold. My prayer is not just, God, you're great and I'm not, ugh, I'm the worst. My prayer is because of who you are, I get to approach you with boldness and ask for success today. I think right here and right now, God is gonna revolutionize some of our prayers. From, from arrogant to humble, from insincere or distant to dependent, from blaming to repenting, from forgetting to remembering, and from weak and ineffective to bold prayers. The type of prayer that says, God, based on who you are, I need success and I need it today in my life. Let me challenge you, go on and read the rest of Nehemiah. You'll see over and over again that he's even in dialogue and then people ask me a question. So I prayed and answered. It's like instantaneous moment by moment, God is real and God cares for me type of praying. If you wanna pray like a leader, it actually begins to infiltrate every part of your life. I hope you're encouraged today. I hope you're inspired today. But, but the greatest effect of this message wouldn't be that you just like it. Although, like I said before, it does help us. It wouldn't be that you just leave a comment saying I was super encouraged today, although even comments do help us. And it wouldn't even be if in the chat or maybe personally you reach out and say, Pastor, that was a great message today. The greatest encouragement and take home from me would be if you begin to actually put it into practice. Imagine what it would be like if we became these type of people. Imagine what it would be like to see walls established in our life that, that take our valuable things out of a place of vulnerability and into a place of strength. Can I pray for you? Jesus, I love you so much. I'm just trusting and counting on you for this, that you are speaking to every person individually about their situation. I pray that you'd help us to move from emotion to prayer, that emotional panic or, or whining or forgetting wouldn't be our, our response, but instead we'd weep and fast and pray and learn to persist in this. Lord, if there's an area where you're pointing out in my life or in our life collectively or in the society that we're a part of where it's like a city without walls, help us not just to see it and forget it, but to care about what you care about and to persist in prayer. I pray that you would challenge us today, that you'd remind us today where others have lacked motivation, confidence, or, or even vision, that we can come to you and find all of those things. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? If you're watching today and you don't know Jesus as your savior, I just need you to know he loves you. God loves you like crazy. And he wants you to experience relationship with him. It begins with you praying a prayer just like this. God, I trust you with my life. I'm sorry for my sins. I repent and I receive your grace. If you're praying that prayer today, or maybe you're watching this at a later date and you're praying that prayer, would you reach out and let us know? We wanna encourage you in your next steps of faith and we wanna to grow together. I love you so much. 
Grateful that I get to be your pastor. Grateful that we get to be this incredible family together. Excited for October 3rd when we gather at 252 East 1st. Excited for October 21st when we're going to be in person in Toronto. And really looking forward to continuing to do church this way with you as well. I love you. I'll see you next Sunday. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church Podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.